Amen. When the uh, Reverend Horace had asked me to come and to speak here, I was looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And I was reading through it and I came to the end of the chapter and I realized that the next verse was a verse which we were also all very familiar with. Hebrews chapter 12 and the verse 1. And often we do uh, in the scriptures, we, we, we read a chapter and we stop there. And when we just finish at that point and we've read our chapter uh, and we, we then think on that chapter and we spend our devotional time in it. We have to remember that the scriptures uh, were not divided into chapters like these. These are for men's aid. Um, they are not the way that, the, that God inspired uh, the book, to, uh, his holy book to be written. And this first verse in chapter 12 is linked to Hebrews chapter 11. For it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And the Apostle Paul here, when he is talking about a great cloud of witnesses being compassed about with them, he is referring to the previous chapter, the great uh, hall of faith. All those men who lived throughout history, who this book was written to, specifically the, the Jews, to them who would have spent much time considering the genealogies of Israel and much time considering um, the different customs and traditions that would have been found in the Old Testament. And they would have been very familiar with what the Apostle Paul had listed in Hebrews chapter 11. And he reminds them that these men and women who we see throughout scripture were not saved because they were Israelites. They weren't saved because of their good works, anything in and of themselves. He reminds them throughout the chapter that entirely everything that happened in these people's lives was by faith. By faith alone. And so he then says to the Jews that because we see these around us, and he says even to us today, because we see those that are gone before us, we have this great cloud of witnesses which show us how we are to live our lives, how we are to uh, worship the Lord, shows us how the Lord can use each and every one of us. And as I thought about this and thought about the importance, the importance of knowing our history, the importance of knowing our family history, the church of God through all of time, three things stood out to me that are very important for us when we come to consider both scriptural and church history. And the first thing which is very important for us in considering is that with this great cloud of witness around us, if we ignore it, we have forsaken instruction. We have forsaken our instruction that God has left for us. One of the questions that, especially young people, I know myself asked many times growing up, is what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do with my life? And does God have a will for our lives? Well, as we look throughout all of time, and if we turn to Ephesians uh, and the chapter 1, 
And as we look throughout all of Scripture, we see that God does have a plan. Um, Even from before the very beginning of time, it says that having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the pleasure of his will. I meant to include the verse before, actually, sorry, where it says, according as he has chosen us in his name, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so God has a plan which runs throughout all of time. It is something which he has set in place before he even created the world, from before the foundation of time. He had set in place his plan, and his plan was the plan of salvation. It was the plan that he would send the Lord Jesus Christ down to save his people from their sins. He would send the Lord Jesus Christ down to willingly and by choice die on a cross. Shed his precious blood so that those of us who have sinned and turned our backs on him. Those of us who who hated God could be redeemed. And God has this plan of salvation which he has set throughout time. So whenever we come to decide what is God's will for our lives, how do we discern what that might be? Well, we can turn to a couple of different verses. We turn to uh, Colossians chapter 1 and the verse 9. And it says there, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. If you turn to Romans, and the chapter 12 and verse 2 should be a well-known verse. Um, but I'm going to turn to it just to read it perfectly. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We know it very uh, well quote it as well. That's where we study the scriptures because it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. And when it comes to the will of God for our lives and how we seek out the will of God for our lives, the scriptures quite clearly always say that we're to take time to study and to work it out. We're to take time to look at God's word and to see what it was he would have for us to do. And it's something which we must consider. We must consider our ways. When I was um, looking at the instruction for God, I came across uh, a little phrase which, even though I've recited it many, many times, I never picked up on it. Psalm chapter 23. I'm sure even you boys and girls here today have, have maybe heard this psalm read, maybe heard this psalm spoke uh, or even taught in Sunday school. And Psalm chapter 23 and the verse 3 and it says He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When God is leading us in our way of life, when he is leading us in our uh, in our um, walk with him, the reason why he's leading us, the reason that he has chosen us out from all before of time is for his name's sake. It's so that we can glorify God. 
We uh, all have probably been taught the very first catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The will of God for our lives is to glorify his name and is to set him on high. Now why am I talking about God's will whenever we were just talking about history? Well because God is a God that doesn't change. God is always the same. And so if God's will for our lives today is to glorify him, that means that God's will for the lives of those in times past was to glorify him. God has never changed the will for his people's lives. If you look at, uh, turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. And again, these are a couple of verses that until I started thinking on this topic that never really stood out to me. The final two verses in verse 39 and verse 40. And God's plan of salvation has been something which has been worked throughout all of time. And he says, we'll read the verses 39 and 40. And these all, talking about those that have lived by faith, these all, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the coming of the Messiah. Receive not what had been promised. Not in their time. God having provided some better thing for us that they, without us, should not be made perfect. You see, throughout all of history, throughout all of time, God's whole plan to glorify his name, it needs all of his family throughout all of time. It needs all of his church throughout all of time. We often have that idea, which is a very good way to think about how um, the, the church of God has worshipped him. And we have those in the Old Testament who looked forward to the Messiah coming. And we have the New Testament church today, which includes us, looking backward to the Messiah who died for our sins, died for the sins of all throughout history. And the entire plan of God's salvation includes the entirety of God's church. And so it is important for us not to forsake and not to disregard the history that God has provided for us both in the scriptures but also we think of those that have went before us. You know, very often we have uh, those that maybe have the attitude that, oh, that was a way that they worshipped God. That was a way that they did things in times past. That was, that was an olden time tradition. That was an olden time thing, you know. We need to change things. We need to keep going. Come up with the, the modern, the recent times. God doesn't change. The way that God has asked us to live our lives is the same as the way that God has asked all of his church, all of the family of God, from the children of Israel right to now, to live their lives. And that's to glorify God. And that's such a wonderful, such an amazing purpose for our lives, that each one of us are chosen to glorify him. That each one of us have a specific plan. And now it might not be... Uh, set out as directly as in what university to go to maybe or or who should we marry and and we might not find these things specifically mentioned in scripture but when you come to these questions in your life you consider them which path is going to glorify God the most and you're living in God's will you've got to consider them before the Lord it's not which path is the wisest in the world's eyes it's not which path 
is going to make the most sense for me. No, it's which path is going to glorify God. And that's the one that the Lord will have you on. That's the one that the Lord wants you, the path that the Lord wants you to walk down. And as we think of the instruction that God has placed for us in Scripture, the wisdom of those that God has placed around us, the great cloud of witnesses that God has placed around us, and and we think of uh, many who are probably a a real encouragement and a real help to uh, us. We think of the biographies we've maybe read. Um, or we think of the commentaries we turn to, the wisdom of those that God has placed to help teach his children. All these things the Lord uses to give us instruction, and ignoring them means that we're losing out on that instruction. We're just going our own way, really. We're just trying to figure it out all by ourselves, and you won't get very far doing that. If we try to figure it all out by ourselves, we'll probably end up going down the wrong path. God has placed a church, a family around us so that we can get help, so that we can be held into check sometimes. When we, and I'm very thankful for this, I tell you, in my own church. Sometimes where we think or we say or we do something which maybe we're unsure of or maybe we don't know the exact answer. And there are those that have been placed around us. And it's why it's so important to be a member of a church. There are those that are placed around us to help, to guide us, to lead us. In ways that will glorify God. First Thessalonians chapter five. And the verse twenty one. And the Apostle Paul simply says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. We are to prove all things that come our way. We're to hold fast to that which is good. And part of that is by going and talking it over with those who maybe have more experience, with those who maybe have a different point of view, with those who are able to to help and encourage us in the Lord's work, to help and strengthen us in the Lord's work. Um, We should be very thankful for those great cloud of witnesses that the Lord has placed around us in the world today. The second thing which I thought of as I thought of uh, what would happen if we ignored our history in Christ is that we would end up with a flawed image of God. A flawed image of God. How does God describe himself in the scriptures? Well, one of the ways that God describes himself when he first appeared unto Moses, uh, we hopefully are familiar with the name, I am. We're familiar with the idea that God is a God who was, who is, and who will be. He is a God who is unchangeable, we think, in Malachi 3 and 6, where it says that the Lord changes not. In Hebrews, a verse which we find much comfort in, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God is a God who is the same throughout all of time, it stands to reason that it's important for us to see how he has acted in times past. How he has helped his people in times past. How he has uh, warned his people in times past. And how he has moved within his people in times past. It is very encouraging for us to to think back to times of revival in the past and for us to look at how the Lord moved then and to know that he can do that again today. 
Sometimes we can get very weighed down. And we can look at our friends, we can look at our co-workers, we can look at those around us, and we can think to ourselves, how's God ever going to move here? You know, we can get very disheartened when we think, um, well, our church is going really well, but we have these missions, and well, maybe we'll see one saved. But then we look back. And if you look back to the previous revivals, you look at back to the times where the Lord moved, the people weren't any better. The people weren't any holier. The Lord just worked in their hearts. It is him that makes the change in the lives of those who disregard him. And it is him that makes the change in the lives of those that will uh, hate him and try to do away with him. Um, recently, in um, I t- take the Bible class in Balnehinch, and we were looking at Ephesus. And one of the things that really struck me when we looked at the church of Ephesus was the wickedness of that city. That city was a city which, uh, when, it, when we simply say they worship the goddess Diana, it doesn't really explain what was happening there. What was happening there was probably uh, their festivals and their events would have been worse than maybe even the pride parades that we have today. What was happening in the city of Ephesus was obscenely disgusting before God. And yet in the middle of that city, the Apostle Paul went. He met 12 men. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19. And the Lord used their men to build a church which in Revelations God said, you have done well. Now he had, he had some fault with them. and In Revelations they weren't a perfect church but they were a church that the Lord used. They were a church that the Lord built up. And we know that God can move in places where it seems impossible. How do we know that? Because he's shown us by doing it in times past. In the scripture, he's shown us how he's worked in people's lives. Throughout history, he's shown us, our church history, he's shown us how he can change people's lives. Even think of our own maybe family members and testimonies that will come and will speak about how the Lord has worked in their lives. It's really encouraging to us, for we can then see that God is a God who does not change, and he's a God who can change any heart. He can change any person, no matter how tough or how hard they seem to be to us. His ways are past our finding out. And so it's important that we don't end up with a flawed image of God. We don't end up with an image where we're just applying God to our own circumstances, to our own life. And we can really fall into that trap quite easily. And I would warn anyone that, that, that does find themselves falling into that trap because it's not just a simple misunderstanding. It's much more serious than that. It's really idolatry. If we have God in the wrong view in our hearts. You know, there's people who, who will um, say... Um, just trying to think how to phrase this so we have when we think of idolatry we think of graven images we think of those who will put things before God we think of those who will worship something other than God but there are also those who worship a God that just fits what they want and that's the same thing they're not worshipping the true God 
They're worshipping a God which only applies to their circumstances, only applies to what they feel fits, what they feel thinks is right. And even though they come to church and they worship God by name, they're not worshipping him in their hearts. They've created a false image and it's something which even ourselves can find a trap, a trap for us. Where we can find ourselves thinking about God only in one way and forgetting about the other aspects of him. We can find ourselves thinking about God in a way which suits what we want at that time and forget that God is so much more than what we can even understand. That he is a God whose ways are not our ways. He won't work in our lives the way we want him to. He won't do exactly the plan that we've set out. we, We sometimes get very disappointed because we set an expectation for how God is going to do something the way we want to do it. But God is more than our imaginations. He's more than our thoughts. He's beyond what we can understand. Let's be careful that we don't have a flawed image of God, but instead we look throughout all of history, we look throughout all of the scriptures, And we see the different ways that God has acted, the different ways that God has behaved, and the different situations that he's done something that nobody could understand or predict. God is miraculous and beyond what we can even imagine. The final thing which I uh, thought of whenever I thought of ignoring our church history is that it would... Leave us with a forgotten identity. And isn't identity a word which is bandied about a lot today? It's a word which people are really just super confused about. They don't really know what it is they're talking about. Recently, in a, it's not a, a Christian um, that I know of anyway, not a Christian movement, but there's... There's a website called History Reclaimed. And recently, uh, the people uh, of that website are academics, and they wrote an article about the BBC's portrayal of a certain program. And it is, to be honest, a very typical way that we see the world today. We see the world today where the program was about slavery, and it was about how the colonization and the British had uh, taking part in slavery in a certain part in Africa. But of course the program only focused on what Britain had done wrong and they didn't mention all the stuff that Britain had done to try to help and try to reverse the wrong that had been done. They portrayed only things in a negative light. And because they have portrayed it in a negative light and because that is what today's world is doing, they don't want to be associated with their history. And then we also think, I I know I would have had a lot of friends in university, unsaved friends, who, especially when I was talking about um, getting married, um, they were like, oh, I I can't be be bothered thinking about doing a wedding because there's so many family members that I just wouldn't want to look at, I wouldn't want to talk to, I wouldn't want to be there. Yeah, the wedding would be a pain. And they don't like their family. So they have lost their history, they have lost their family, and really what we end up 
with is a people who are lost, confused and have no identity. And what does that mean? That means they look for it somewhere else. And they end up really confused. They end up in a place where they're so lost that they now think that you know, a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. They've lost their way. So far gone. And Christians, it's important for us to not forget our identity. Our identity, first and foremost, is in Christ. It's in Christ and his sacrifice for us. It is in the love of God who sent his son down to die for our sins. Our identity is also in our church history. It's also in those that we read of in Hebrews chapter 11, the fathers of the faith. It's also in those that we read in when we look at the reformers. When we think of those that even started up uh, the churches here in Northern Ireland and the Free Presbyterian churches, there's identity there. It's even in the people that are sitting around you. That's your family of God. That's the family that will love and will help you. And we should not forget our identity in God's family. One of my favorite doctrines in the Bible is the doctrine of adoption. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, he could have just done the saving bit and, and left it at that. He could have just um, forgiven us for our sins. But he's done so much more than that. He accepted us into the family of God. And sometimes we think that's a New Testament thing. But if you turn to Exodus chapter 4 in the verse uh, 22. I'm going to read it because I can't remember the exact phrasing. Exodus chapter 4 in the verse 22. And the Lord says here, long before we have any idea of the doctrine of adoption... He says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And then we can turn to many different passages. Uh, let's just turn to a couple in John chapter 15. The Lord Jesus Christ. He says in John chapter 15, and the verse... Uh, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father. I have made known unto you. I have not chosen you. I have not, ye have not chosen me. Sorry. But I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring fruit. And that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And Paul quotes this in Galatians chapter 4. Or, or the, he takes the idea of what um, the Lord Jesus is saying there. And he repeats it in Galatians chapter 4. And the verses, we'll read verse 5 to 7. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 
when the Lord Jesus came down and offered his life for a sacrifice on the cross, he was doing it so that we, and, and this should blow away every Christian here, so that us who hate at God, who disappoint him on a daily occurrence, who find ourselves at times shocked at our own behavior and so far from him, he gave his life so that we could become called the sons and daughters of God. That should really humble us and give us great joy. And that is our identity. That is our purpose. That is our truth. Talk about truth and relative truth or absolute truth and all this, but the truth, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we will only find instruction. We only find encouragement and a knowledge of who God is, his image. And we only find identity in the church of God, which we can see throughout all of history. In the church of God and this great cloud of witnesses that are set up so that we can run with patience the race that is set before us. Remember, Christian, believer today, whatever you're going through, someone else has went through it. Whatever you're going through, the Lord himself came down and he lived a life on earth and he can help and offer comfort and offer strength. And even as we finish, maybe today there's someone in this meeting who is confused about who they are, who is confused about where they're at in life and what they're supposed to do, who doesn't know really what weighs up. Well, the Lord himself can give you peace. He came down, he offered his life a sacrifice on the cross. He construed the entire plan of history for his glory and for our salvation so that we can become the sons of